0: Welcome to Threshold Church. Today's message is from Jake Kale.
1: Amen. The title of today's message is going to go along with this theme. Uh, it's called Crossing Over into an Open Heaven. Crossing over into an open heaven. And over the last week or two, uh, just God has had me in a very interesting process. Uh, I've I've uh, revisited sermons and messages from, year, from from the past years, maybe five, sometimes six, seven years ago, um, different messages that God had put in my heart at different times. I was rereading journal entries. I was just, I felt like God was just really just reminding me of, of a lot of different things. And uh, there, was a, there was a period of time in 2016 where God emphasized the topic of open heaven. Some of you were there for that. Some of you can remember that. It was a very sovereign thing that God did in me personally. And then that was released on our church body. Uh, it was the summer of 2016. And we had a period of about two months, a month and a half, two months where there was a real uh, sense of of, of the heavens being opened up of of the Holy Spirit moving in a fresh way. We had one of the most powerful water baptisms I've ever seen probably even to this day still happened uh, during that time, God was prophetically speaking. And then there was a time where literally it just seemed like it just stopped. Like I I remember the Sunday, I, I remember it. It was the first Sunday of September, 2016. I it was. It was almost as if, I mean, it was like we were like. I felt like we're in. We're, we're moving into revival. We're moving into an outpouring. And it was like one Sunday, it just was like, like it was just like, and I was like, what in the world just happened? Like, what is going? Like, I it was. It was very hard to not be discouraged. It was very hard to not be just disillusioned. And I remember God showed me some things and even used a prophetic word from somebody that helped helped me understand something about what God did during that time and that it wasn't a waste. And, and, And as I was listening back to different messages and reading journal entries, again, there was a temptation to be discouraged about like, well, man, I thought there would be more happening by now. I thought we'd see more of a fulfillment by now. I thought there'd be more. But then at the same time, what I was sensing from God is that this Coming year, what we're moving into during this time is a time of crossing over, is a time of a culmination of different seasons, different things that God has emphasized over a period of several years where God was depositing this or showing us this or speaking this. And I feel like we're coming into a time where it's like a culmination. Where it's like a culmination, where different prophetic words are like hanging over us. They're kind of just there. Different promises, prophetic promises and words that God has spoken. That sometimes we can feel maybe discouraged that we're not seeing it fully come to pass yet. And we know from scripture that that this is common. That's why we're told over and over again not to be weary in well-doing. Not to be discouraged. Not to lose heart. Even Jesus said to not be weary as we pray. That we may pray and not lose heart. Because he knew we could lose heart in the process. But I I really am sensing and believing that this is a time now where we are coming into what what the the Greek language would call a kairos. Some of you know what that means. It's a Greek word for time. There are two words for time in the scriptures, in the Greek language. One is chronos, one is kairos. Chronos simply means chronological time, point A to point B. It's a calendar. It just goes in in a line. Kairos is the word for God's appointed time. God's appointed time. It's it's a word for a day of God's visitation. It's a word for a fullness of time. In fact, the very verse I was quoting in Galatians where it says, don't be weary in well-doing for if you don't lose heart, you'll reap a harvest in due time. It's the word kairos in the fullness of time. I I truly believe we are moving and stepping into, and I don't want to give like certain dates or this or that. I just know it's, we're there, like we're like there. I don't know if if this is just, this year is that, this month is that, I don't exactly know. But I sense so strongly and believe that this is like a Kairos time, that it is time to cross over. It is time to cross over. It's almost like there's a full circle moment where God's bringing us back as a church body to certain things. There was things that had to happen between then and now. There was things that had to happen. There was order that needed to happen. There was revelation that needed to happen. There was foundations that needed to be laid. We needed to get a prayer life going in the church body. We needed to do other things established. And now I believe we're coming to a full circle moment where God is saying, okay, it's time to cross over. It's like a convergence. There's an opportunity to step into the fulfillment of prophetic promises. There's an opportunity to step into prophetic promises. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. Jesus had a moment where he crossed over into an open heaven. Matthew chapter 3 records this. Other places do as well. Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. If you look at the earlier verses, you'll see it's it's the ministry of John the Baptist. We know that he was sent from God to prepare the way for the Messiah. He was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. He was preaching a message of repentance. People were coming to confess their sins and to be baptized in the Jordan. And in verse 13, we see that Jesus begins to come on the scene. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Here's a key phrase. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I don't think it's possible for us to fully comprehend the significance of that event, of that moment in time. Up until that time, we really don't see a lot of Jesus. The last thing we see in Scripture of Jesus is when he's 12 years old. We see it in Luke's gospel when he was 12 years old. He was at the temple, right? And he stayed behind, and Mary and Joseph were looking for him. All that was going on. And that's the last time that we see of Jesus until this now event. So now this is 18 years later. He's 30 years old, it says, at the beginning of his ministry. And there's, I, I believe it's really impossible to fully comprehend what all transpired in this time. This was a transition point for Jesus, This was a no turning back moment for Jesus. This set the rest of the course of his life and ministry into motion. This caused him to step into now the beginning of what would ultimately lead to him being crucified on the cross and then raised from the dead. This was a transition point. And I want you to notice what happened in that transition point. He steps into the Jordan. Now I think it's interesting, the Jordan River has significance in scripture. The Jordan River is a significant body of water in the Old Testament. And I was just looking at that a little bit, and there was a couple things that stuck out to me. When you think of the Jordan River, I think of a couple of things. One, I think of the Israelites crossing over into the Promised Land. Right? When the Israelites were let out of Egypt, when God let set them free from Egypt, and then it was finally after years of wandering in the wilderness, and they were going to go over and begin to take possession of the land, what was the water they had to cross? It was the Jordan. Okay, it says this in Deuteronomy eleven thirty one. 31. You will cross over this Jordan. You'll cross over the Jordan, go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you will possess it and dwell in it. I believe that is a word of the Lord for threshold church. You will cross over the Jordan. There's a crossing You will go in and possess the land. There's a possessing of the land, an occupying of of a promise. The land was a promise that God had been speaking over them over and over and over again for generations, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. They were waiting for years and years, decades, centuries. You'll possess the land. You'll dwell in the land. So the Jordan represents a place of crossing over. It's a place of no return. It's a place of possessing the land. It's a place of prophetic fulfillment. It's a place of occupying what God has said we're supposed to occupy. But the Jordan is also known as a place of cleansing. In Second Kings chapter 5, if you remember the story, there was a leper, a man with leprosy. His name was Naaman. He was a Syrian commander, and he came down with, he had leprosy, and he, he, and if he heard that there's this prophet named Elisha who could do miracles, and so he, he sent, and he goes, and long story short, right, Elisha goes and says he sends his messenger and says, go tell him to wash in the Jordan seven times, and he'll be clean. And at first he gets offended, then he humbles himself, and he does it, and he gets cleansed, right? So the Jordan was a, is a place of crossing over. The Jordan is a place of cleansing. And it's, I think, extremely significant that Jesus chose to step into the waters and allow himself to be baptized. Because the reason people were getting baptized was what? To repent of their sins. They were, it says they were going to the Jordan, confessing their sins in repentance to be baptized. Guess who was the only person who ever walked the planet that never sinned? So here comes Jesus. By identifying with the Jordan River, he was identifying with sinful humanity. By, by saying, I'm choosing to step into these waters, that means everybody's going to look at me and say, oh, he must be a sinner. That means everybody must think, I must, he must be confessing some sin. He must be confessing to um, sexual immorality or lying or cheating or stealing or pride or right, whatever it was. Because anyone who was going into those waters, they were doing it for one reason. They were doing it to confess their sins in repentance. And so when Jesus stepped into those waters, I want you to catch this. This is the first time that Jesus identified with sinful humanity. See, it wasn't just on the cross, Jesus said yes to the cross before the cross. Jesus said yes to the cross in the Jordan River when he chose to go into those waters and identify with the filth of sinful humanity. So what was he doing? He was humbling himself. He didn't need to be baptized. John even knew it. John even said, what are you doing here? You don't. I I should be baptizing, uh, uh, I mean, you should be baptizing me. I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not worthy to do this. But Jesus said, let it be so. Let it be so to fulfill righteousness. You see, Jesus was humbling himself and he was saying yes to the cross before he got to the cross. And he steps into the waters and it was after that transition, after that act of obedience and surrender and identifying with the cross and humbling himself, something significant happened. It says in verse 16, Behold, the heavens were opened to him. Something changed in that moment. Something changed in that moment. There's different places in Scripture that talk about the concept of open heavens. And I don't have time to unpack all those places. I'll mention some. I'll sprinkle it in. But I I want you to understand that there's a concept in the Bible that is referred to as an open heaven. And... In the Old Testament, there's multiple examples. One of the ones that I think of right away is Genesis 28, where Jacob is on his way to see his brother Esau. He's fearful. He's he's afraid of what's going to happen because he had stolen the birthright, all that stuff. And he's sleeping at night. If you know the story, he had a dream, right? Remember Jacob's dream in Genesis 28? it it talked about an open heaven. He had this dream where he saw a ladder on earth going to heaven. Angels of God were ascending and descending. The Lord appeared to him and spoke to him. He experienced an open heaven and he woke up from this dream. He said, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. See, that's what an open heaven does. An open heaven brings you from the omnipresence of God to the manifest presence of God. Did that make sense to you? The the omnipresence of God simply means God's everywhere. The manifest presence of God is God is here. Is that just a car? Is that a car out there? I thought it was like thundering. There's a difference between God is everywhere and God is here. Have you ever experienced that? You see, just because God is everywhere doesn't mean we can't experience him in a tangible, real way. When Moses encountered God in the burning bush, God was there. God was there. When the glory of God filled the temple, after they would built the temple, the tabernacle, then the temple, then the glory of God came and filled the temple, so much so that they couldn't even stand to minister. God was here. On the day of Pentecost, when they were waiting and praying and seeking, and then it said, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, right? And the whole house was filled with the sound of the wind. Tongues of fire came upon them. God showed up. See, that's what an open heaven does. It it tears the veil between heaven and earth. And so that heaven begins to just pour into the earth. The spirit of God begins to move on the earth. The spirit of God begins to move in a tangible way. And we begin to encounter God. When the heavens are opened up, we encounter God in a a more powerful way. Ezekiel 1.1. Ezekiel had an open heaven. He said, on this certain date, this certain month, the heavens were opened and I had visions of God. See, when the heavens are opened, we see God more clearly. When the heavens are opened, we experience God more tangibly. When the heavens are opened, his manifest presence is there among us in a more prominent way. I don't know about you. I'm not satisfied with the concept of the omnipresence of God. When I know I'm supposed to know God now and here and have a tangible personal relationship with him. And encounter him and experience his presence in a real, tangible way. The heavens were opened up to Jesus. This event changed everything. All of a sudden, Jesus was thrust into his ministry. The the first thing that happens is the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. And he has face-to-face encounter, not only with God, but now not with the devil. Now he has the devil coming to him, tempting him. Now he has angels coming and ministering to him, it says. Why? Because the heavenly realms are opened up. Do you understand? When God created the heavens and the earth, right? Heavens and earth. Natural, spiritual. There's a natural realm. There's a spiritual realm. When the heavens are opened, the spiritual realm becomes very tangible. Becomes very real. That includes the Holy Spirit. That includes angels. That also can include demonic spirits how the devil came and tempted him, right? All of a sudden, the heavens are open to Jesus. And now he's, see, Jesus operated with access to heaven that he could always bring into the earth. That's why he could multiply food. That's why when he multiplied the bread, he looked up to heaven. Because last time I checked, there's no lack in heaven. There's no lack in heaven. He had access To the Father without any restrictions. He had full unity with the Father. He had full access to heaven. And so he could he could access that and release it onto the earth. When he healed somebody, when he cast out a demon, when he multiplied food. Do you know that everything that earth needs is in heaven waiting for us to access? For his kingdom to come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus, this, this, this opened it up. This, this was to Jesus what the day of Pentecost was to the early church in Acts chapter two. This was the, the moment here. And it was, it was the heavens opened. It was the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And it was the father's voice over him. And let me tell you something. We're called to do what Jesus did. Did you know that? Did you know that? We're actually called to be like Jesus. You know, WWJD is not just a like, like a little cliche, cheesy bracelet that we wear. Remember those? (laughs) What would Jesus do? You know, people wear those bracelets. And I think for a lot of people, that meant just like a reminder to be nice. Oh, I need to be nice. Oh, I need to be. How about it reminds people to cast out demons? What would Jesus do? I'm pretty sure he would cast out demons. What would Jesus do? I'm pretty sure he would raise the dead. What would Jesus do? He would heal the sick. He would bring salvation to the lost. He would feed the poor. He would clothe the... You see, what would Jesus do? The question's not what would Jesus do. The question is why aren't we doing what Jesus did? We know what Jesus would do. It's right in the Bible. Read the Gospels. That's what Jesus would do. But we can't do what Jesus did without having what Jesus had. We can't do what Jesus did without having what Jesus had. Jesus had an open heaven. Jesus had the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had the Father's voice. If we're going to begin to do more of what Jesus did, we need those things as well. We need an open heaven. We need heavens to be opened up. We need any interference between heaven and earth broken through. We need the, the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. We need the grace of God. We need the voice of God. We need to be established in God's love. Because we can't do what he did without having what he had. So where does it, what are some of the characteristics of an open heaven? I've already mentioned some of it. I'm just gonna do a quick bullet point list here so I can keep moving. So what what does an open heaven mean? What does it even look like? What does that, you know, because it can just sound like a mystical like just Symbolic, it just sounds, but there's actually tangible things in the Bible that describe open heavens. Okay, I've already talked about one. One of them is God's manifest presence and glory in our midst, and encounters with God. That's part of the result of an open heaven. Encounters with God, his manifest presence, experiencing his his glory. Okay. Uh, Another result is an outpouring of his Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit being poured out. I will pour out my Spirit. Acts chapter 2, it said there was a sound from heaven. God tore the, the heavens. He poured out his Spirit. So you can think of an outpouring of the Spirit. Acts 2, Joel 2. Re, what, you know, what we often call revival. Awakening. That's essentially an open heaven. If you ever studied like revival history, the great awakening of different time periods, essentially what it was, was that the heavens opened up and God poured himself out. It's an open heaven. When the heavens are open, we'll see more salvation, healing, and deliverance. We'll see much more prominently. We'll see much more powerfully. We'll see uh, more notable miracles. We'll see healings. We'll see breakthroughs in deliverance. We'll see more of those things happening. We'll see conviction of sin, turning people to God, drawing people to repentance, drawing people to salvation, breaking the chains of bondage. That all will happen when there's an open heaven. You want an open heaven? You sure? Something else that can come with an open heaven the judgment of God. There's actually passages in the Bible that talk about God's judgment being connected to the heaven being opened up. One of them is Noah's Ark. He opened the floodgates of heaven. We just sang, Let it rain, during the pre service prayer. Not that kind of rain, Lord. Not. He opened the floodgates of heaven and he rained down. He rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the judgment of God can come when there's an open heaven. Here's the thing. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the presence of God without the judgment of God. Why? God is a judge. That's part of his character. It's part of his nature. I, I really believe, please hear me on this and hear my heart in this, and I'm going to be speaking on this later this year at some point when God fully releases me because I want to make sure I have the timing of God and the heart of God. I believe that one of the biggest obstacles to the American church experiencing revival is our aversion to the judgment of God. Of us saying that God's judgment is not happening right now. Of us saying, almost like being embarrassed about God's judgment. Almost like we're embarrassed about the passages in the Bible that describe God's judgment. Almost like we have to apologize for him. Almost like we have to say, well, that was just kind of this, you know, that was in the Old Testament. That was just, God doesn't ever. Do you know what that does? Do you know what that betrays? Do you know what that reveals? That reveals our humanism. It reveals that we have been humanistic. We've elevated man above God. Because in the beginning, Elohim, God, created the heavens and the earth. The word Elohim is God as creator and God as judge. He is the creator, therefore he is the judge. He is God and we are not. To say that God's judgment is not happening today is to remove a part of his character. And let me me explain this. God's judgment is not bad. There's nothing about God that is bad. God's judgment makes things right. We need that in this nation. God's judgment turns things from darkness to light. God's judgment removes mixture. God's judgment brings righteousness into the earth. God's judgment brings cleansing. And any time God's glory was manifest in a powerful way in the Bible, God's judgment was also manifested. Because when God is near, all of God is near. Not just part of him. Not just a part of him that that we want to just hold on to and then neglect the rest of who he is. So when we say we want God, we're saying we want everything about God, all that who he is. And when his glory is in the midst, his judgment can come with that. But that's not a bad thing. Now, I know some of us, if we came out of a really legalistic background, it can be a real struggle. It can be a real struggle because you're like, you know, I came out of this real legalistic. Maybe some of you came from like a, a, a strict old order, you know, Mennonite or Amish, like a, a, or just a real legalistic background where, where God was never seen as loving. God was never seen as good, right? And so I'm not talking about just embracing a harsh, you know, God's just this harsh old man up there that's just looking to strike everyone dead. See, we have these caricatures of God. I'm saying that we want the whole counsel of God, the whole scope of the fullness of who God is. So that was a little side tangent but I don't want to preach about open heavens and not include that part of it. See, because it's the Spirit of God poured out, it's the glory of God manifest, it's salvation, it's healings, it's, it's outpouring of His Spirit, but it also comes with a reverence and a holy awe that we don't want to mess with. And I, I've, something else I want to mention real quick, just because I, I, sometimes I'll, I've heard people say, I don't, I don't want to say this like I'm trying to be critical of people, but, I, but I've heard people say things like, well, the heaven's already opened because Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn, so the heaven's already opened, so it's, just, it's already opened. So we don't need to pray for an open heaven. We don't need to, we don't need to seek God for an open heaven. It's already, it's already done. To that, I would just simply say, although there's partial truth to it, see, there's a lot of things that are partially true, but not fully true. To that, I would simply say, I'm not interested in a theological concept without the fruit of its reality. So if you want to tell me the heavens are always opened, I would say, show me the fruit. How many dead people have you raised this week? Where's the revival breaking out everywhere? Where's the food multiplying, right? If the heavens are just already automatically opened, first of all, it's not fully theologically accurate anyways, because there's different places in the New Testament where the heaven opened up again. See, it opened here in Matthew 3. It opened again in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out. It opened again in Acts chapter 8 when Stephen was stoned. He looked up, he saw heaven open. So to, to just think that the heavens are just always opened, and we just need to realize that, it's, I, I personally don't believe, one, it's not theologically accurate. Two, it's not very helpful because unless you're seeing the fruit of it, it's not doing anything. Does this make sense? So maybe I stepped on some of your toes. I don't know, but I just, I feel like I needed to say that because there's so many minds, again, truths that are partially true. Did Jesus pay the price for the veil to be torn? Yes. Is the veil torn? Yes. Are we experiencing the fullness of that? No. There's a lot of things Jesus paid the price for that we're not living in fully. See? Now, I want to read this um, quote here from a book by James Goll. James Goal is a um, prophetic man. He's a prophet. He's been in the you know, prophetic arena for many years. He's written a lot of books. I, what I appreciate about him, I've never met him in person, but one of the things I really appreciate about James Goal is he's, he's super prophetic and gets all these visions, and, but he's also like a really good teacher. He's like really biblically, he has a lot of just, he's, it's, a, it's a rare combination for a person to be a prophet and a teacher merged together. Um, he has a book called The Seer. The seer, S-E-E-R, which I I read many, many years ago. I mean, when I say many, maybe 20, 18, 20 years ago. I think I was in college when I read it. But um, it's a great foundational book on the prophetic. But he said this. There's two different places where he talked about open heavens. And I was reminded of this, and I pulled out the book, and I read this. He said this. We are crossing a threshold. I like that we are crossing a threshold into a period of apostolic open heavens for whole cities and regions to be visited by the president, by the the presence, sorry. The president. (laughs) I should probably start over. We are crossing a threshold into a period of apostolic open heavens for whole cities and regions to be visited by the presence of the Almighty. We are crossing a threshold into a period of apostolic open heavens for whole cities and regions to be visited by the presence of the Almighty. Then later in the book, 60 pages later, He said, I believe we are entering an apostolic era when this whole arena of open heavens is going to break wide open. I thought it was really interesting that he both in those sentences referenced the apostolic because something we've been speaking on from, from December and previously. So I say yes and amen to crossing over into an open heaven. Now, what's that mean Oh, I've talked about what it means. Now I'm going to talk about what is it going to take. Because it's not going to happen just because I preached a message on it, or we read a book about it, or we read James Gold's quote. What's it going to take for us to cross over into a new place, into an open heaven? I'm going to share three things that I felt like God put on my heart. I'm not saying these are the only things or that it's like a formula, but these are the three things that God put on my heart specifically what will it take to step into more of an open heaven? Well, number one, consecration and embracing the cross. Yay, everyone cheers. What will it take to see an open heaven made a reality? Consecration and embracing the cross. What does consecration mean? It means giving ourselves fully to God. I don't believe God gives himself fully to a person who doesn't give himself fully to God. Giving ourselves fully to God, dedicating ourselves to him. Listen to this, not to earn our salvation, but because he is worthy. We cannot earn, you, we, you and I can't earn our salvation. This is not about salvation. Giving ourselves fully to God, dedicating ourselves to him, not because we're trying to earn points, not because we're trying to gain a way to heaven, but simply because he is worthy. Let me tell you something. A lack of consecration is based on a lack of Revelation. A lack of consecration comes from a lack of revelation. See, they thought Mary Mary of Bethany, they thought Mary of Bethany had gone too far when she poured out the oil on Jesus. You know the story before his death? She took the oil, it was a year's worth, a year's salary worth of oil. She broke the jar, she poured it on him. She's at weeping, she's... And everyone's like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why this waste? They thought, Mary, you're going too far. See, the, the reality is her, con- her level of consecration exposed their lack of consecration. Their, her level of devotion, her level of consecration, her level of yieldedness to Jesus, her level of outpouring of love and adoration You know what that does? When a complacent person's in the room, it agitates them. When a lukewarm person's in the room, it agitates them. It irritates them. Why this waste? Why are you doing this? Mary, why are you you being so super spiritual? Why are you being so crazy? Come on, Mary, hold back a little bit. We could give this to the poor. Then he come up with a religious reason. We could have given this to the poor. We could have sold this. Mary wasn't thinking, I'm going to pour this oil on Jesus cuz then I'm going to get to heaven. If, if you're sitting there thinking, how how little how much little consecration can I have and still go to heaven? You know you know what you need you know what I need, you know what we need we need a revelation of Jesus. I want to see what Mary saw. I want to see what stirred Mary's heart to take a year's worth of money and pour it on Jesus in one moment because she saw that he was worth it. See, it wasn't about her trying to gain heaven. She, she was, so many people want heaven, but they don't want Jesus. Do you know what the point of heaven is? The point of heaven is Jesus. Read the book of Revelation. It's all about him. If you don't like Jesus, why do you think you're going to like heaven? See, people only want heaven because it's the alternative to hell. Instead of realizing, no, there's a my prize is the presence of God. My prize, my reward is Jesus Himself. I desire him. He is worth it. You see, a lack, if we lack, if you lack consecration, don't, don't try to work it up. Don't try to do it out of a legalistic way. Say, God, give me a revelation of who you are. God, show me the beauty of Jesus. Show me what Mary saw. Show me what stirred her heart so much to give her life to you in such a full way that didn't hold anything back. See, I want to give my life to Jesus in such a full way that people could say, What a waste. That people that are lukewarm or people that are in the world that don't know Jesus would say, Man, what, what a waste. What is this guy doing? What are these people doing praying like that? What are these people doing getting up to pray? What are these people doing fasting, not eating food? What in the world is that about? What a waste. Why are they giving money? Why are they going overseas on a mission trip? Why are they obeying God? Why are they on the streets evangelizing? Why are they early morning seeking his face, reading the Bible? What, what, What in the world? Why this waste? What a waste. See, when you see who he is, it's not a waste, is it? When you see who he is, it's the most natural response in the world. Mary's response to Jesus is the natural response of seeing him for who he is. If we lack consecration, don't beat yourself up in condemnation. Just say, Jesus, show me who you are. Holy Spirit, open my eyes up. Open the eyes of my heart. Stir my heart to such a degree that I want to just fully give myself to you because you're worthy of it. We love him because he first loved us. So if if, if we're struggling to love him, God, show me your love for me. Give me a revelation of who you are so I can respond. Because we can't do this in the flesh or just working it up. So we need a revelation Consecration is fully giving ourselves to Jesus. So for whatever he wants, whatever, whatever you want, God, my life belongs to you. My decisions belong to you. My devotion belongs to you. My worship belongs to you. And then the cross as well. We're still in the first point of what will it take Because I also said embracing the cross in that point. What does that mean? Well, Jesus talked about picking up our cross, denying ourselves. The cross speaks of denying ourselves, our own fleshly desires. The cross speaks of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Do you know that, yes, Jesus suffered for us, but we're actually called to enter into his sufferings. Do you know there's no resurrection without a crucifixion? See, we live in a microwave society. We live in a society of quick fixes. We live in a society of New Year's resolutions. <laughs> that last a few weeks. We live in a society of shortcuts, of speed, of Amazon Prime. I love, the, I love Amazon Prime. I ordered a book and it got there the next day. Yeah. Praise the Lord. But there's no shortcut in God's kingdom. And you know, things that happen naturally still take just as long as they did 1000 years ago. You can microwave your food, but you can't produce an apple by slapping your finger. You still got to plant the seed, you still got to water the seed, you still got to watch it grow, you still got to till the soil, you still got to tend it, you still got to wait years for it to develop and grow. See, God's kingdom is like that, not like a microwave. And part of it is embracing the cross. See, Jesus identified with us in our humanity and our sinfulness. But then he calls us to identify with him in the cross. That's what we do when we take communion, which we'll do next week, by the way. We're identifying with Jesus in his death. Now, we don't stay there in the sense that we all we need to move into a resurrection, too. And then it also says we're seated with him in heavenly places. But you can't bypass that part called the cross. See, everyone's cross is going to look a little bit different in life, but some of the things that the cross represents, self-denial, laying down our lives, betrayal. The cross to Jesus was betrayal. He went through betrayal. Humiliation, suffering, misunderstanding. Some of those things are like a cross that we have to embrace. Please understand, I'm not saying that we should like Take on this like punishment mentality where we like feel like we have to punish ourselves. That's just that's just the other side of self, self-motivated way of doing it. But there is a cross to embrace. There is a cross to embrace. Number two, how will we move into this? What will it take? I've used this phrase before. I didn't know quite else what to call this category, so I'll just use this phrase again. Tenacious prayer. Tenacious prayer. A certain quality or type or way or heart posture in prayer. In Luke's version of what we read about Jesus stepping into the waters. In Luke's version, it adds a phrase, while he prayed, the heaven was opened. It adds that detail that Matthew doesn't have. While he prayed, the heavens were opened. There's a connection between prayer and the heavens open. There's a connection between prayer and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter one, they prayed for 10 days. Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit was poured out. I can show you it throughout the scripture as a thread. But I believe God wants to take us into a deeper place of prayer that is beyond just repeating words. See, the consecration will help us get to the place where we're so united with him that he can begin to pray through us. You know, God will always answer the prayer that he prays when the Holy Spirit prays through us. That's what I mean by that. We talk about stepping into the apostolic. We talk about, you know, I preached on that a couple weeks ago, embracing our apostolic calling. Let me say, let me say something. There, there will be no apostolic power without apostolic praying. Do you want to know how the apostle Paul prayed? Do you want to read his prayers, his wrestling, his, his agonies in prayer? So I believe tenacious prayer. So we're, we've been taking steps. We're going to keep taking the steps of building the prayer life, of growing as a house of prayer, of standing in a place of intercession. But I believe God wants to take us into a deeper place of prayer that is persistent, that is faith-filled. It will involve contending and spiritual warfare. It will involve waiting on the Lord quietly. It will involve praising and, 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 and loud you know, intercessions. It will involve sobs and quietness. It will involve all these different things. But it's a new dimension of our heart being united to Him and praying in that way by God's Spirit. So I read a book two days ago. The one I ordered on Amazon Prime. That made it the next day, thank God. It was a divine appointment. There's a lot of cool connections that God confirmed so much about this, but... I read a book called um, The Gift of Tears by Corey Russell. And I'd never read any of Corey's stuff before. He spent years at um, International House of Prayer in Kansas City. Now he's with Upper Room in Dallas. He, uh, but prayer is kind of a lot of his main messages have to do with prayer, prayer life, et cetera. And um, I had read, so I had seen this book. I think he released it earlier this year. And I'd seen it, it kind of caught my attention. But then something happened. I was like, I need to buy this book. And I bought the book and whew, a dangerous book. I want to read some of what, I, what he said. This is from, uh, the, I think, the first chapter, I believe. First or second chapter. He said, I believe with all my heart that 2020 and beyond will force the church into a place of humility and brokenness that we have not seen for generations. We are leaving the station of well-polished, nicely articulated praying and are entering the season of humble praying, broken praying, ugly praying. This kind of praying will provoke something in God to come and rain his righteousness on us. uh, Tears, tongues, and travail are coming to the church. It's prayer on the other side of words. It's prayer on the other side of words. And this is what revival praying looks like. This is what it looks like when we run out of words and nice ways to say something, and our eyes, our mouths, and our hearts scream, we need you, God. We need tears. They are God's gift to us. The gift of tears is the outward sign of the inward revelation of our inability to change anything. They are the manifestation of poverty of spirit. Tears are liquid prayer. They are liquid desperation. Tears articulate the depths of our soul crying out to God, I want you closer. I want you to rend the veil. I want you to come down. That's just a couple paragraphs. Whew. I read that book. I couldn't stop reading. I just, I was weeping throughout the whole book, just reading and just, God's spirit just stirring and just Tears were just flowing and just crying out. There was, just, there was a stirring and in in a in, in, in feeling the heart of God that was beginning to come upon me. And it just, again, it was one of those times where God was taking me back to different places and different seasons where I would have times of weeping and weeping and weeping, being in prayer meetings, being in, being in um, services and just weeping and just, you know, Scripture says in Psalm 126, those who sow in tears will reap with joy. See, our tears are seeds that are sown. And you might not get the harvest that next day or that next week or even that next year. But you better believe that God has remembered every single tear you've prayed in intercession. That there's something released of the heart of God, of a desperation in prayer that moves beyond words and that goes into the place of groaning goes into the place of travailing, goes into the place of weeping. And I just want to be clear, this is not something that you can conjure up or make yourself do. We can yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We can ask for his presence and power, we, but we can't make ourselves. It's not emotionalism. It's not about working yourself up to it. It's a yielding to the Spirit of God because this God expresses emotions all throughout the Bible. And sometimes when we yield ourselves to him, his emotions begin to come through us, and all we can do is weep. Or sometimes the desperation in our heart to see to see something happen, to see the answer to prayer. Hannah praying for a child for year after year after year after year, getting to the place of desperation, getting to the place where she would say, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. See, God wants to bring us to that place where the thing that we are praying for, we're not going to touch it. We're not going to own it. We're not going to see, sometimes if the answer comes too fast, we're going to take credit, we're going to take hold of it. We're going to take ownership of it. We're going to to claim that revival. We're going to claim that outpouring. We're going to identify with that outpouring. It's going to be more about us. And God brings you to the place where you say, God, if you'll give me a baby, I'll give him back to you fully. He'll belong to you. God brings you to the place where you say, God, I don't care who gets credit for it. I don't care. You just have to come, God. Your spirit has to be poured out. And I don't care if my name's on it, or this church, or that church. I give it back to you, God. See, he brings you to that place of desperation. And he works in us a process of brokenness and consecration. Where he can trust us with the answer. Because he knows we're not going to put our hands on it. And try to touch God's glory. So I don't know what all this is going to look like, but I want us to be open as a church body in our services, in our prayer meetings, in, our, in, our, in your personal secret place. Not to try to make it happen, not to try to work it up, but that yield to God and say, God, give me your heart, God. Give me your tears, God. You know, having a baby takes labor. It's not always pretty. Is it ever? Seeing something birthed in the kingdom, seeing seeing revival birth, seeing an outpouring birth, seeing... Let's be okay with it maybe being a little messy. If it's birthing God's move in the earth and God's spirit in the earth... Let's be open to yielding ourselves to God that way. Some of you are going to be really catching a greater uh, outpouring of God's spirit and travail. I said this two weeks ago at the altar, and I saw it happening in some people. Some of you are going to begin to just have times where you're just beginning to weep in prayer, where you're going to begin to just travail in prayer, where you're not going to have words to say, and it's it's going to come through tears. It's going to come through groans And I just want to affirm you in that and say, yield to that. Allow God to do that. Allow God to do that in you, to mark you with that. Because you're birthing things in his kingdom. You're releasing things. It's helping to break open stuff in the heavens. Does this make sense? The last one I want to mention, where's Tyler at? I'm going to have Tyler come up. What's it going to take? It's going to take the consecration, embracing the cross, a new type of praying, a deeper type of praying, a tenacious type of praying. I like that. Tears, tongues, and travail. Let's go. If you pray in tongues, pray in tongues more. If you pray in tongues, pray in tongues more. Pray in tongues more. The third one is spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger. See, we don't tend to move toward things we don't have an appetite for. Is that true? When you're really hungry, what are you looking for? You're looking for food. Maybe I shouldn't say this. We're about to be going to a fast When you're really hungry for something, you're willing to do things to get that thing, right? You're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to rearrange your schedule. You're willing to get up earlier. You're willing to drive somewhere, right? See, hunger drives our direction. Hunger drives our focus. And sometimes our relationship with God can be sustained by discipline, and we need that, spiritual discipline. But you know what's better than spiritual discipline? Spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger will drive you to the presence of God. where You never, you don't want to leave. You don't want to end. You don't want to stop. It'll drive you to the place of just seeking him during the day. It'll drive you to the place where you're driving down the road and you're crying and you're and you're. you're you're crying out to God and you're saying God I want to know you God I have to have your spirit pour out your spirit spiritual hunger drives us to that place it's a desire for God himself that causes us to seek his face and find our satisfaction in his presence alone that's what spiritual hunger is It's a desire for God Himself that causes us to seek His face and find our satisfaction in His presence alone. That causes us to set aside other distractions. It causes us to set aside lesser pursuits. It causes us to set aside temporary pleasures, even some that are okay. It causes us to fast. Why would we fast? Why would we stop eating food for a while? Why Because we? we're hungry for God. Because we want God. Because we seek His face. Because we desire Him. It's about God Himself. If an open heaven is about anything, it's about God Himself. And one thing I do not want to allow to happen in my own life or in the life of our family, our church family here, is for us to cross over into the promised land and forget the presence of God. It's easier to treasure God's presence in the wilderness than it is to treasure his presence in the promised land. Because when you're in the wilderness, God's all you have. You don't have any options. You don't have milk and honey. You don't have nice fruit trees and food and abundance and this option and that option and this house and that the wilderness strips us of everything. And all we have is God. And that's where we learn that all we need is God. But see, then God doesn't keep us in the wilderness. He takes us to the Jordan. He says now it's time to cross over. But see, the temptation is once you cross the Jordan is that you can lose sight of that presence and of that intimacy and that first love and that, that that deep relationship, that deep hunger, because now there's so many other things that are happening and they're all good things. There's ministry happening, there's salvation happening, there's deliverance happening, those are all good things. We wanna see those things, please hear me. But we do not wanna lose sight of the fact that it all comes from his presence, it's for his presence and he is the, he is the goal. Jesus is the goal, Jesus is the prize. And it's spiritual hunger that will set us on that course, just like Moses in Exodus 33, when he was about to go into the promised land where he didn't end up being able to go in because of their disobedience, right? But God was about to lead them in. And he said, I'll send my angel with you, but I'm not going to go because of their idolatry and all that. I'll send my angel with you. I think some of us would have said cool, an angel only escorted by an angel. Guys, this sounds fun. Not Moses. Moses passed the test. Moses said, if you don't go with me, don't send me. If your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us. Do you understand the significance of that statement? Do you understand the weightiness of what Moses said? He said, I would rather have the presence of God in the wilderness than to have the fulfillment of 400 years of promise without your presence. I would rather have you in the wilderness than the promised land without you. Can we come to that place where we can say, God, if you don't go with us, I don't wanna go. God, if you're not in it, I don't wanna wanna do it. If you're not sending me, I don't wanna be involved. If your presence is not with us, we don't wanna move from here. We wanna stay here, we wanna be until you are here, God. We need, we have to have you. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to respond here. We're going to pray. I have a few people are going to share some encouragements and words that are going to go along with this. I really, have done my best to try to articulate. This is the real... It's hard to kind of put this message together because there were so many things. But God had to do some deeper heart work first. God had to remind me of some things. God had to bring me into that place again of tears and of, and of crying and of, and I hope just whatever I've released tonight, God's gonna use it and impart something and, and, and stir our hearts up to say yes to him, to consecration and embracing the cross, to say yes to him, to yielding to him in a greater prayer life than we've ever known before and yielding to him in the spirit. If that means travail, if that means tears, to say yes to him, to hunger after him. Rachel, why don't you share? I mean, Rachel's going to share something she had gotten prophetically and came. Share as well.
2: So the Lord had given me um, this really intense impression last weekend. Ironically enough it was it was I was listening to a worship set um, from a church I'm familiar with and that song that was actually sung out today in worship, Out, I can't remember if it was Marie or if it was Sarah who was singing, but fire fall down, fire fall down. We were crying out to God to have the fire fall down. And the Lord had shown me such a beautiful impression. As those that were hungry cried out to the Lord for him to release his purifying and refining fire upon them, they dropped to their knees and allowed him to do the deep work of purification in their hearts, their motives, their thought life, as well as addressing and burning up any false idols that would seek to stand in the way of God, being able to use each of them to their fullest capacity. I then saw as the idols and things were being cleaned up, things were being uprooted that had been deeply ingrained, and he began healing through his healing grace and virtue. They were allowed to go deeper, creating greater depth, space, and capacity for these ones to carry and release his glory and presence in such a powerful way. These were his glory carriers that were rising up to begin influencing the world around them in an even greater, more powerful way as they represent him to the masses. This spoke of intimacy, surrender, healing, deliverance, freedom, impartation, and so much more as we surrender to the process and allow him to purify us. His presence, glory, and power began to be poured out in a more tangible way. And during prayer and intercession on Monday, the Lord reminded me of something he shared with me. Um, it was that children's rhyme a song "Is I'm a little teapot. <laughs> And that part was, I'm a little teapot, short and stout. Here is my handle and here is my spout. When I get all steamed up, hear me shout, tip me over and pour me out. And the Lord was showing to me that getting steamed up and and in my flesh and everything. And it was like, I can't be able to pour out His presence when I'm full of my own stuff. And it needed to be poured out and poured out on the altar to be used as a glory carrier, to be able to stand in his presence, consecrating ourselves. This doesn't come without a cost. He desires your heart coming to him, humbling ourselves, recognizing our utter dependency and need for him. For some, it's an undoing, it's painful. For others, he may ask of you to lay down things in your life that aren't necessarily a bad desire, but he's asking for you to surrender it. It is a call to holiness, consecration, that he would bring his conviction that we would be made clean and available to be filled by him. It's an invitation to go deeper with him. How hungry are you?
3: Monday evening, uh, I was at prayer here in the sanctuary and I heard the Holy Spirit say, I'm not interested in the physically hungry, but I'm searching for those who are hungry for my spirit to be poured out in great measure. There's a strong warning from the Lord to either take the fast seriously or not to participate. Do not participate out of routine or ritual. It discredits the power of fasting. It's in his love and because of his holiness that he refuses sacrifices that are laced with defilement, impurity, or ritual. I also felt the Holy Spirit highlight the need for fervent prayer, especially in the midst of fasting. Do not divorce the two. Prayer is the key to unlocking the heavens. In Luke 3, when Jesus was baptized, the scripture highlights that it was prayer that proceeded out of Jesus's mouth before the heavens were opened over him. The Spirit said, I'm calling the intercessors to stir the wells of hunger in the church and to call others into increased hunger and thirst. I was reminded here tonight too of a number of weeks ago, During the Monday night prayer meeting, I had an impression of a net that was hanging in heaven. um, And it was filled with the prophecies and the words and the promises that have been spoken over threshold. And it was being held up um, by strings. And it was a big enough net that it was like there's tiny holes in it that like we've been seeing like bits and pieces dripping through. Um, But the time is coming. I just wanna encourage intercessors, those who are standing in the gap to not give up because as the prayers were going up, it was like these cords were being snipped around and slowly it came to the point where like as the last one's being snipped that there's nothing else that could happen but the net had to be released fully. And it was a flood of the prophecies and the promises that some of you have been interceding for, for five, 10, 15, 20, or 30 years. Um, And so take courage, be strengthened, that it's coming.
1: just begin to pray right now. If you want to come to the altar, begin to come to the altar. If you need to respond, if you feel God's stirring in your heart, just begin to come to the altar. We're going to take some time just to respond in prayer. If you need to ask God to show you how, how He wants you to participate in the fasting, I encourage you to really just take that word seriously about let's not just do it through routine because it's the beginning of the year. Let's ask God, God, how do you want me to participate in this fast? What are you calling me to? What type of consecration are you asking of me? Are you leading me into right now? Let's just begin to pray. Let's begin to pray corporately, individually, to yourself, with yourself and God, but just all together. Let's just open it up right now. Turn into a prayer meeting for a few minutes. Whatever you need to bring to the Lord, if you need to confess to the Lord, if you need to repent, to ask, just begin to pray out right now, however the Holy Spirit's moving through you. God, I ask, Lord, that you'd release right now, even upon us, God, everything that you want to begin to do throughout this coming three weeks. God, we just take your word seriously, God, that you called us to fast a holy convocation, Lord, a, a holy time of fasting, God. Lord, that we wouldn't just be playing games with it, Lord, uh, Lord, not because of legalism, but because of love. God, because of love for you and your love for us. God, would you pour out the Holy Spirit, God, right now, even on this place, even on this people. God, I ask for your spirit god i don't want to live without your spirit i don't want to live without your presence god i don't want to go in if you're not going in god god i pray even for those areas of prayer god i ask that you'd even release the tears god i ask for that gift of tears god to be released lord because of the heart of god moving through your people God, would you release, Lord, even the gift of tears right now, Father, in this room, Lord, upon those, God, that are sensing your spirit stirring. God, would you release fresh waves, Lord, of tongues, Lord, the gift of tongues, Lord, flowing in intercessions. Would you release groans, Lord, that cannot be uttered. Would you release travail, Father, in prayer that births things in your kingdom. Even right now, Father, let it come. Let your spirit fall, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit fall in the name of Jesus. As the Holy Spirit's moving in you, just yield to Him. Yield to Him. Just pray. Don't don't worry about people around you. Thank you, God. God, I hunger for you. God, I hunger for you. My heart and my flesh cries out for you, the living God. God, I don't want to go through another day, another year of just going through motions. God, as a church body, we don't just want to keep hearing about these promises and these prophetic words and these declarations God without seeing their fulfillment God God I say yes Lord I say do whatever you have to do God in me God I say yes to the cross Lord I say yes to the cross God I say yes God to greater consecration I say yes Lord to travail I say yes God to hunger Lord I say yes God Lord, break through, break through, break through, God. Open up the heavens, God. Open up the heavenly realms, God. Open up the heavens to us, God. In the name of Jesus, that you'd pour out your spirit upon this land, God. Father, this region needs the outpouring of your spirit, Lord. This region needs an open heaven, God. Father, this region doesn't just need a nice church, God. It needs an open heaven. God, I cry out to you, Lord, that you open up the heavens, God. God, that you save the lost and you pour out your spirit because we want you, God. We want you, God. Come on, keep praying right now. The Holy Spirit's moving upon many of you right now. Yield to him. If you need to pray in tongues, pray in tongues. If you need to travail, travail. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We yield, we yield, we yield. I yield to you, God. Release the tears. Release the fountain of tears, God. Release the flow of it, God. In the name of Jesus. Just keep just keep praying and keep yielding to the Lord. Intercession, the spirit of intercession, release it, in God. Release it, God. Oh, flame of
4: love, come baptize us. Come baptize us.
1: I thank you, Lord, for the the prayer that births God. I thank you for the prayer that births God, for the prayer that moves mountains, God, for the prayer that breaks open things, for the prayer that pulls down strongholds, for the tears that break through, God. God, I pray for a grace for it, a grace for it, a grace for it. Pull us into it by your Spirit, Lord. Pull us into it, it by your spirit, God. It's only by your grace. Pull us in by your spirit. God, make me hungry. If you're not feeling hungry for God, just pray. God, make me hungry. Make me hungry for the things of you. Let me lose my taste for the lesser things. Let me lose my taste for the entertainment. Let me lose my taste for the stuff that wastes my time. Let me lose my taste for the stuff that pulls me away from the secret place. God, make me hungry. Make me hungry. Make me hungry.
0: Thank you, God. I just hear the Lord just so clearly right now. It's Joel 2, 12. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning and rend your hearts and not your garments. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Father, I thank you for this moment, God. I thank you, Lord, that you're causing hunger in your people once again, Lord. We just rend our hearts before you, God. We say we need you, Lord. name, that you would pour out your spirit on this people, God, Father, let weeping, let mourning, God, for your return to come, Lord Jesus, God, I ask that you would unmask us once again, God, that you would let the voices of your people return to you. the heavens open let the heavens open pour out your spirit pour out your spirit in jesus name
5: anoint us to love you well father I ask that you would pour out pour out your spirit on us that we would become a bride that is a suitable helpmate for Christ that we would become a bride that truly expresses the heart of Christ father I ask that you would pour out the tears in our hearts where we see the lack where we see the lack, the disparity between where we are at and who you are. God, I ask that you would pour out your spirit afresh, that we would love you well. Jesus, that we would be a bride that truly is lovesick until you come back, that truly feels sick in our stomachs because we miss you so much. God, I ask that you would show us your heart, that you would show us, give us the tears, give us the groans. God, give us the stirrings, the the deep guttural groanings again. God, I ask that you would pour it out on your people right now. Jesus, I ask that you would anoint us in this fast, that you would anoint us to groan, anoint us to intercede with groanings too deep for words. God, groanings from the heart, groanings from a lovesick bride, God, anoint us to love you well in Jesus' name.
1: And over this time, I just really believe that there's a grace to return to first love, a grace to return to first love. It doesn't mean you have to repeat something from a past season, but it's a heart posture of a previous season. The Bible says in Jeremiah, God says, I remember the devotion of your youth. I remember, he says, I remember. God remembers the times when we were so devoted to him. God, it says, I remember the devotion of your youth where you followed me through a land that wasn't sown. He remembers. God, help us to remember from where we have fallen and returned to first love. There's a grace to come back to a place of first love over this time of fasting. I believe that with all my heart, there's a release of that, a grace to come back to first love. I thank you, God.
5: Something that the Lord really put on my heart, Revelation 3, the Lord, the Lord indicts his church that they lost, or Revelation 2, that they lost their first love. And what he said to them is to go and do the things that you did at first, whether that is waking up at 430 in the morning to spend time with him, whether that is, is staying up till midnight to spend time with him, go and do the things that you did at first. Go and do, that's what he says to a church that lost its love. And that's what he's saying to the church today. Go back to when you first loved me. Go back. He says you lost your first love. Go back to when you first loved me and do what you did then. So that's what the Lord is saying to us in this fast.
4: There's only one word to describe. There's only one word comes to mind. There's only
1: Continues to happen, I just, in this, this is to me not one of those meetings. I just want to do a hard and fast stop to. I believe that God's gonna continue to work with you and the people here. But what I want to do is just, I want to release people just to begin to leave if you need to. So, um, but yet, I want Tyler, I want you to keep playing. And I want if God's doing something in you, I want you just to keep yielding to Him. If you're praying up front, you want to stay and pray for a while longer. So we're just gonna kind of do kind of a soft, a soft, uh, you know, closing down. It's not, it's not about a meeting. It's about the process, God's leading us in over these 21 days. But I also feel like I don't want to cut short what's happening here at this altar and in the hearts of people. So, um, God, as we just say yes to this month and this time of fasting, we take it seriously. God, we, we devote ourselves to you through this time in a fresh way. We yield ourselves to you. We say yes, God, to To the cost, Lord, to the cross, to the consecration, to the prayer, to the tears, to the hunger. And I thank you for the open heavens, God, that we're crossing over. We're crossing over, Lord. We're crossing over. We're crossing over. We're crossing over. The heavens are opened. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. The heavens are opening up. So we say yes and amen that process of whatever it takes to move us fully, fully. I thank you for every taste. I thank you for every touch. I thank you for everything you've done. But I thank you that you want to do a fullness, God. You want to release it fully. And so we say yes and amen. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. In Jesus' name. For more
0: information about Threshold Church, visit the website at threshold-church.com